At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. You know, I've realized this. Um, when the seasons change, I'm going to sound so old. Okay. I'm almost in my mid-30s. Okay. Um, yeah, ancient, so ancient. These teeth ain't real, y'all. Okay. Um, so um, I realized this when the seasons change, I'm embarrassed to say this, that I, I tend to lose my voice a little. And so there's like this window of about a month where I'm like, don't sing crazy loud, otherwise you won't have your voice for the second service. Does anyone, am I alone in that or is anyone else? Okay, yes. So, so here's the deal. I was singing my guts off just because, you know, I, I love loud, fun music, but just something about an acoustic set, just singing the innocence of just crying out those praises to God. I don't know, it just builds you up, it edifies you. And uh, so I just, I love that time to prepare our hearts, to go before the the throne to go together and then get ready for the word of God. So I want to start off with a question. Get your minds uh, thinking, stewing a little bit. If you had an opportunity to invite four people to dinner, whether living or having a dirt nap, who would you choose? Living or dead, who would be those four people that you would invite to dinner. I want to hear some things. I want to hear, just throw out a name or two. Who are some people you would love to have dinner with? Grandma. Grandma. Jesus. All right. Awesome. Who else? George Washington. <laughs> Paul. Who else? Come on. Mo okay. We have a lot of biblical people. You guys are much more spiritual than me. Okay. <laughs> Because I was like thinking about, I'm like, Honest Abe or Adam Sandler or, you know, I was like, God, I'm a terrible, I'm sorry. First service, I need to be a little more reverent. Okay, so here's the deal. You know, you think about some of these individuals. If there were people that weren't living, man, I, I said I love history. I would love to be with some of these historical figures. Yes, I would love to be with Jesus, Paul, Moses, but I would also love to be with some of these great military generals and Alexander the Great, uh, uh, Caesar Augustus. I would love to meet with some of these uh, American presidents during the Revolutionary War. Those are some people I'd love to be with. But at the same point, maybe I'm a little sentimental. Maybe it's someone that I miss. Maybe it's my Aunt Jeffy. Maybe it's my great-grandma. Maybe, maybe it's uh, one of my friends I haven't seen in a while. But then I like to laugh and have a good time. So I actually wrote down four people that I just think I'm gonna have a fun time with. I wrote down Kevin Hart. I think I would have a good time with Kevin Hart. Steve uh, Corral, um, I, I, The Office, it is so cringy and uncomfortable, but I just love it. I, I hate to admit that. Uh, of course, I wrote down Adam Sandler. And then Jim Gaffigan, you guys know Jim Gaffigan? Man, these guys, they just make me laugh. And so uh, when thinking through this list, whether there's a, a, a sentiment or it's just you wanting to meet with some historical figures or maybe it's someone who you just want to laugh with, there's the, there's the thought of why. 
Why do we choose these people? And usually when you think about that, it has to do with what, what they offer us, right? Maybe a good time, uh, a history lesson, maybe it's someone we just miss. But if you think about it, most of the time when we wanna, when we wanna have dinner with someone, uh, maybe we want to laugh or, or maybe we want to just get to know them. But regardless, most of the time, if we think about this question in particular, our table mates are more built around something that we desire, something that they benefit us with. And so I want us to think about the series we're working through. If Jesus was setting a table, who do you think he would choose? If Jesus was setting this table, who do you think that he would choose? And so we're going to come back to this question a lot during this series on soul food and really think through the gospel of what we see on who Jesus wants to dine with. Such an intriguing question. Because God in the flesh through Christ, he so often focused on a specific group of people. And I think about meals. Meals are a weird thing because there's, there's an intimacy and a friendship that happens around a meal. It's something that we, we tend to gloss over too quickly. And I think the power of a meal is something that is shown time and time again in the Gospels. And so before you write off this series as a, a series of a hungry pastor who needs to be fed, I want you to think through the power of the meal and who do you think Jesus would choose to be at his table. So I want you to consider this observation because uh, this, this book called uh, A Meal with Jesus, it's written by Tim Chester. And it was very awesome that this past week, uh, some of the teaching team at Woodside, we actually got to zoom in with Tim Chester himself. And he was able to kind of walk us through this book and share the heartbeat of this book. And, and I, I won't lie, I stood convicted. It's like, man, I had no idea of the power of, of this concept, the power that we see in God's word. And so I want you to think with me. There are three times in scripture where we read that the son of man came to, and we're going to put it up here. He came to do these things. First thing, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So he came, the son of man, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Another little uh, uh, ploy to get some people serving in children's ministry. He came to serve and to not be served. Uh, another time we see uh, that he says the son of man, he came to seek and save the lost. So he came to seek and save those who were lost, lost in their faith. And then finally, it says the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So I'm going to blow your mind with this. The first two are, are different than the last statement. The first two are statements of purpose. His purpose was not to be served, but to serve. His purpose was to seek and save that which is lost. 
So those are statements of purpose, but the third statement is a statement of method. So the first two are purpose, and the last statement is more his method. His method onto how he was going to do those first two. He was going to come eating, and he was going to come drinking. Now this is interesting because when it comes to his mission to do those things, he can save that which is lost and serve, there are multiple times in Scripture where he sought out the lost around a table. Again, this stuff is blowing my mind. When I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself because I've read over these things. But then when we're working through the series, Jesus knew the power of a dinner table. And often his method was, hey, if I can get around a table with someone and just share a meal with them, there's going to be some, there's going to be some evangelistic moments. Uh, I, I read it this way by Robert Karras. He says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus got himself killed because of the way he ate. <laughs> Intrigued me. Because as I'm going to get a little ahead of the cart right now, a little ahead of the horse, I mean. Um, Jesus offended the religious leaders based on who he was eating with. And, and that was just like preposterous to them. What? You, you're with these people? And so I know that's a long shot, but it really offended those religious leaders because it was a sign of inclusion. It was a sign of, of relationship. In ancient Middle East, sharing a meal with someone was so intense. And you guys know, I got Middle Eastern blood in me. My mom was born in Jerusalem. My aunt and uncle were born in Bethlehem. They came over to the States when they were younger. My grandparents grew up in Israel. So I know this world, right? I know that world and the power of a meal, the power of being around a table with someone. I still remember going to Chicago and seeing my aunt, and, and you're going to hear a lot about my aunt, Jeffy. Actually, probably some of my family in Chicago are watching in today on Facebook Live. And, and Aunt Jeffy, she would, the minute you'd walk in her door, she would have what we call Tata's bread, and she would start baking it immediately, made from scratch, and she would have her dough, and, and she would hug you, kiss you, and then she'd go to the kitchen and start cooking. And we're talking about baklava and hummus and bit and Tata's bread, and, and we would just eat, 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 and she would look at us, you're too skinny, you know, like, you need to eat, and, and, and they just shove food in our mouth, they'd make a vice, and they shove food, and, and that's just part of the culture, you share meals together, and so in, in this time, in this culture, when you shared that meal, it, it, it symbolized intimacy, it symbolized kinship, it, it symbolized uh, unity, friendship. It, it, it makes me think of the Turkish proverb, you can't trust a man until you've eaten a pound of salt with him. You know, we, we get to know people over meals and, and then at this time it was association, guilty by association. So Jesus knew very well what he was doing and the fellowship he was having at the table with these people. And so, again, we're going to be digging in the Word, um, and I want us to be thinking the whole time, just kind of this vein and this thread, with whom did Jesus eat, and with whom does he want 
me to eat? Who does he want to be at our table? Who does he want us to invite? Who does he want us to pursue? So as we open the book of Luke, uh, we're going to find a handful of answers to that question. And so I'm going to I'm going to tell you the main point, the big idea of the sermon right now, and someone I heard uh, allude to it, and this is the big idea of this message, and it is this, that Jesus feasts with sinners. That, that Jesus feasts with sinners. And this conclusion, it's, it's inescapable because of Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It's an inescapable concept that Jesus chooses his very first dinner guest to be people who are very different than him. And so let's dig into verse 27, verse 28, and let's read this together. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. And he was sitting at a table or a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. Okay, this is a a beautiful story of redemption. And the story starts with Levi's background. Because that's kind of setting the table. So they start off saying, hey, this guy, he's a tax collector. His name's Levi, so it gives us some clues of his tribal history in Israel. So he probably was from the tribe of Levi, And so he could have been in the priestly line and and worked at the temple. He could have done all this, but instead he took the path of tax collector. And I know some of you, you've heard about tax collectors in ancient Israel before, but they were loved by nobody. Like they weren't accepted by the Romans. They weren't accepted by the Hebrews. They were in the middle. They were associated with greed and and, and stealing and thievery. And so this tax collector, when I think about them, uh, the thing that makes me most upset in in comparison today is like the the tax collector was an Ohio State uh, staff member for their football program. I'm like, what is the thing that just, oh, just gets on my nerves? If they work not for the basketball team, the football team, we got issues, okay? And so they were not accepted. They were not loved. They were seen as outsiders. And I was reading this quote. It said, in the Roman system of farming out taxing rights, um, it would have been by force. They were collectors who heartily were disliked, both as collaborators and extortioners. As a class, they were regarded as dishonest, and the Talmud classes them as robbers. So this is all to say this one statement, Levi had no respect and no love by anybody. Like, nobody liked this guy, other than maybe his group of people that he, that he hung out with. And, and even among Jesus' followers, I'm sure they knew him, and I'm sure they didn't like him. So you got you know, two zealots, which were essentially, you know, probably the most similar uh, connection with a zealot is someone who's uh, kind of like a terrorist against the nation that is oppressing them, right? And so they were like, fight the man, let's fight the Romans by force, let's destroy them. And then you got this guy who works for the Roman government. 
So he's got a couple zealots on his squad. And then you have these fishermen. You got James and John. You got these sons of thunder. You got Peter. And, um, and, and they're fishermen. And fishermen in the Sea of Galilee were taxed by tax collectors. They would come to them and, and see their catch. And they would have frequent taxes. So they probably knew Levi. So even within his circle, it, it wasn't looking good for Levi. And, and to know that Jesus finds sinners, he found a sinner in Levi. And so I think about this guy. I think about all the things that, that he had to go through as a, as a tax collector. Yes, he probably had a lot of money. Yes, he probably you know, was so financially stable. But then here comes Jesus and he sees him and he says, follow me. So this is the part I got hung up on a little because Luke describes Jesus observing Levi. This isn't just a, a walking through and, oh yeah, I see that guy. I see you're wearing a yellow shirt. You know, it's, it's not that. That I'm not sure the duration of his observing of Levi, but he'd been watching him. He'd been looking to him. You know, I'm not in a creeper way, but he was observing this man, Levi, and he noticed something about him. So when he went and he said, hey, follow me, it wasn't just, oh, hey, you, you kind of look cool. No, he was watching him in some capacity. And when he spotted him, he said, hey, come on. Now, again, I want us to really hone in on this because we can read over it very quickly. But if you leave serving as a tax collector, you can't go back. You know, you got these fishermen with Peter and, and, and they left their fishing boats and they followed him. They could go back and fish at any moment. If you're a tax collector and you leave your booth, you are not welcome back. So he closed that door immediately. When he went to follow Jesus, there was no turning back. It's easy to forget that, that, that small decision that had great implications of heroism. He said, I'm done with this life. I'm done completely. I'm leaving this and I'm following Jesus. It wasn't just a, a spur of the moment decision. It, it carried heavy, heavy weight. And so when he abandoned them, it was, he could have been in danger even. And so I think about that. I want to illustrate this because some of these biblical concepts, I mean, they sound great on paper. What does that mean for us, right? How does this come off the pages and, and change our life? So imagine with me. I mean, we got a lot of people in here. We got, we got uh, high schoolers. We got college age. We have parents. Uh, we got workers. We got people who have recently started thinking about retirement. We have people who have retired. We got all stages of life. Imagine with me that someone came up to you, let's say tomorrow, and they said, hey, follow me. Think about it. What, what would be your very first response if someone, I'm not saying Jesus, just someone came up to you and they said, hey, follow me. You cray cray. You know, where are, you, are we going to Cancun? Like, are we going to the greatest city of Port Huron? Like, where are we going? Okay. Like, we would ask, we'd think they were a little cuckoo, right? 
we probably are not going to be like, oh, I think I'm going to leave my job. I think I'm going to walk away from my security blanket. I think I'm going to walk away from my school and my friends. What happened and what was going on (laughs) with Levi to prepare his heart to walk away? What was going on with this guy that he just left? He left his booth and he went and followed this guy by the name of Jesus. There was something happening in his heart. When Jesus saw Levi, he saw more than a tax collector. He didn't see a traitor. He didn't see a a failed Levite. He saw someone who was lost and wanted to come home, but they didn't know how to. He saw something more in him than he saw in himself. And this is one of the many surprises of God through, the, through Christ and the love he showed people. That he didn't expect people to just be perfect. He didn't get on his high horse and was self-righteous. He, he met people where they were at. Jesus came all the way back to where Levi was to meet him where he was and said, follow me. And I think about that. Jesus, this is the statement that says it all. Jesus didn't just tell Levi to enter his world. He entered Levi's world. And so often as the church, it's like, man, I I can't enter that world. I I can't step. They're sinners. They're different. They believe different things. They believe things different politically. And and we we almost separate ourselves from the world and create these bubbles around ourselves. And so Jesus, he didn't say, hey, come into my, he went into Levi's world, and the second thing we see, the second observation, is Jesus feasts with sinners. Look at this, in Luke 5, 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Remember the significance of meals? The significance of, uh, in the Jewish culture of spending time even with a tax collector, with a sinner, with these notorious sinners. And so in this moment, <laughs> this is interesting, right? The religious leaders, they practiced separatism, okay? What they did is if you were a sinner, if you weren't good, if you didn't meet this level, we were going to isolate ourselves from you. You were not going to be allowed in our, in our realm of influence. And so when this is going on here, they think, man, these people are not clean. They are unholy. Ew, like I don't want to be around them. So I want to share a story. I bought Amanda some nice shoes, white shoes, Adidas shoes for Christmas. I paid way more than I should have, but she really wanted them. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get her these shoes. They're nice. And so she got them. And then we went to Arizona and she hiked with them in the muddy mountains of Phoenix. So I'm watching her. She said, oops, I should have wore these shoes, you know, and I look And now these wonderful white shoes, and they had this cloth that just said, ooh, like dirt, come to me, you know? And and so I looked at her shoes, and they were super muddy, and they were messy. I was not happy. And so I think about these religious leaders in in their way that they, they focused on people, 
that were different than them, they were sinners, they, they almost watched their step. Like, ooh, you're unholy. I can't, even, I can't even be around you. And so exclusion was one of the main things they did. They blamed these tax collectors, these sinners. This is why we're in this mess. This is why the Romans oversee us. This is why everything's terrible. And so we need to stay away from you. We need to judge you. We need to tell you how bad you are. And, and honestly, they probably think they should have been purged from the nation. And so they were kind of walking on eggshells because when they thought of holiness, they thought of holiness as, hey, let's just separate ourselves from anyone who's, who's not holy. Now, again, I'm going to blow your mind here because I want to talk about the story of Jesus and the scenario when he was with the person who had leprosy. Because we get a clue into how Jesus viewed holiness in this story earlier in Luke 5, when Jesus confronted, was confronted by a man uh, as being described as being full of leprosy. You know, and to be near that man, you're going to become unclean, don't go near that person, they're icky, and what did Jesus do? Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. He said, be clean. So a Jesus kind of holiness, it's not delicate like those Christmas shoes that I bought my wife. It's not something we need to, to fearfully protect. A Jesus kind of holiness is not tainted by sin, it consumes sin. The Jesus type of holiness is what is being celebrated at this feast. And so what's happening here is he didn't show up as this, as this prophet uh, showering fire and brimstone from his pulpit. He went and he reclined at a table and went to a house party. How amazing is that? He didn't come and say, hey, time to separate ourselves from you guys because the, the rain of fire and brimstone is coming from above. He said, hey, let's go party, right? I'm coming to your home. You're going to cook for me. He was feasting with the unclean, but he was celebrating Levi's repentance. That meal was a celebration. And clearly Levi was so moved by what Jesus had done for him that he wanted to invite all his friends. He wanted to introduce them to Jesus because a converted man or woman, they don't want to go to heaven alone. They want others to come. Celebration is associated with repentance. And Levi celebrated the grace that Jesus called him to. And he brought others that needed it. So this is where the story gets even a, a little better. But I want to share another illustration. I used to do this thing in the summer at youth groups called home invasions. I did this for like seven or eight years. It's one of my bread and butter things. If Lorino's in the room, hey, you got to try this. And what we would do is we would find people in our church who had nice homes, who had pools, who had land. And, and we would literally on Sunday nights, just in the summer, go to their house and we would swim or play football for three, sometimes four hours. We'd always have a campfire. People would host the food. Uh, we, would, we would, most of the places had pools, so we would swim. Um, we would have worship. We'd have someone share. And, and it was just, when I think of that, I think of church. We would baptize people in pools. We would share of God's movement in our lives. We would worship without speakers or lights. 
it was, it was almost like a party. It was a celebration. And I kid you not, people would come. We would have, we'd have 100, 120 high schoolers there. You know, just come out and want to have a good time. They say, this is your church family? And they would hear someone share their story. They would hear someone tell about what God had done in their life. It was a, it was a celebration. It wasn't confined to time. It was just us getting together and being a family. And so when I think about this time, this meal with Levi and his friends, I think about a home invasion, that they were so excited to be together. And sometimes we just, we get things mixed up because we forget that there's celebration and repentance and we think that there has to be penance. You guys know penance? Like we think we got to suffer for our faith. We got to get beat up or punched and we forget that there's celebration in when we give our lives to Christ. And that's what's happening at this party. The call to repentance is not a call to punishment. It's an invitation to turn aside from our broken lives and feast at the table with the Lord of glory. It's a beautiful thing. And I want to ask people here, have you received that? Is that something that you have received in your life? Have you been at the table with Jesus and maybe you've just thought, man, I need to suffer because I'm such a terrible person. And, and that's not what Jesus did at the table. He restored. As we follow him, he invites us into this wonderful new life. And he invites us into this mission, which leads to the last statement, last observation, is Jesus fulfills his mission at the table. He fulfills his mission at the table. Listen to this in Luke uh, 5, verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, not long before this story, Jesus had been welcomed to speak at the synagogue. So he'd been welcomed, which means they must have thought, hey, he, he's, there's something to this guy. And so when I think about that, it means with, with him eating and, and the disciples eating with these sinners, these religious leaders in some way thought that they were holy. You know, we always talk about all the issues they have with Jesus, but they still associated them as better than sinners. And so we, we read here that they were angry and they grumbled and they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so behind this question are some assumptions that, that we need to hear to abandon our own hypocrisies. They believed in salvation by segregation. They believe they were holy by separating from anyone that's different from them versus salvation by association. You know, last that I read in the Bible, he said to go, <laughs> make disciples of all nations. You know, in Corinthians, it says, I become all things to all men so that I may save some that we still have a mission at hand, that even though Jesus wants to seek and save that which is lost, 
One of his greatest methods was not segregation, but association. And these Pharisees, they were convinced that they were the ethically pure because they had separated themselves from anyone that was different than them. And Jesus straight up called them out. And, and this is what's funny to me, that when, when I read this and they're calling him out, they're saying this in front of the tax collectors. <laughs> they're saying, do you see who you're with? Why are you doing this? And then Jesus responded in front of them. And Jesus even said they were sick. I didn't come here to help the healthy. I came here to help the sick. So that, to me, shows that these religious leaders had completely missed the mark and that these sinners had recognized the evil in which they were living. That they recognized, hey, we have come to repentance. I'm not sure about the number. I know Levi, but there was a recognition of sin and there was a moment of repentance. You know, they believe God should, could, should condemn the guilty and, and vindicate the righteous and all this stuff. And, and so I, I just think about this. It, we need to be careful that we don't fall under that. It's very subtle and easy for us to, to segregate and forget, man, we need to be in the world trying to reach the lost. That we need to do things that are very uncomfortable. That we need to... to, to even understand that inviting someone to a meal, you never know what could happen. You never know the impact you could have. You know, when I think about these religious leaders, not only did they consider Jesus and his disciples too holy to be with these sinners, but they also considered themselves too holy, and so they grumbled. And they were legalistic. And Jesus confronted it. You know, it's the illustration, Jesus, almost like a doctor. And he comes into the exam room and he, and he tells of the, the deathly illness and offers the medicine and it's up to the person to make that choice, right? We can joyfully accept that medicine and celebrate our healing or we can reject the diagnosis and walk from the exam room with our fate sealed. But Jesus... He wanted sinners at his table. He wanted people that were lost. And they were cooking. <laughs> they were the ones making the meal. And this guy, Levi, who'd been shunned, alone, greedy, broken, had been so filled with joy that he said, hey, I want all my friends to come to see this guy who's filled my heart. Guys, the mission's not done. And so when I think about this series, Soul Food, and, and, and this theme, moving up to Easter, I want to challenge everyone in this room. And, and I don't know where everyone is. You might be like, hey, man, I'm Levi. Can someone give me some food? <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to lunch after. I'm serious. You and I, come find me. We'll go get some lunch. But maybe you're the person who you've been following Jesus for a long time. I want to ask a question, and I'm convicting myself as well. When is the last time you invited someone to lunch or dinner or coffee who's not a family member who doesn't know Jesus? And you shared a meal, and you didn't have any, okay, let me roll out doctrinally why you're a sinner, and, and this is why you need to be saved. You just spend time with them. 
You just listen to them and, and love them. And I want to challenge you for this Easter. Invest and invite. Go to lunch. Go to dinner. Invite someone to your house. Invite someone over for dinner. Spend time with someone. Talk with them. Hear their story. Ask about their marriage. Ask about their friends. Ask about whatever is happening in their life, their career. Invest in them. Because if we want to follow the ways of Jesus and imitate his ways... He loved getting food with people. <laughs> I love to eat. You love to eat. Let's eat. But make sure to invite that person who you know you just have an opportunity to invite to church or to tell them about Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.